I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that rigorously examines The Sopranos one episode at a time. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this right now. If you love the podcast, this project, and what it's all about, please spread the word. Share this episode or your favorite one with one new person. That's all it takes. You can follow us on all the socials at Potabang. And if you're up for it, you can support the show by visiting glow.fm slash Potabang. To play in the next trivia show for a chance to win swag, guest on the pod, or just secure permanent bragging rights, DM at Potabang on Instagram. I know I'm behind schedule a little bit on that. I got sick. I got caught up with some other stuff. Hoping to get back on track and get that going again soon. Finally, as always, thank you for listening and being part of this journey. Coming up is a conversation I had a few months ago with Robert Funaro. He played Eugene Pontecorvo on the show. Always love the way that name flows. Definitely in my starting five of perfect name construction for a character. Robert came on the pod to share his soprano story, being in David Chase's first feature, Not Fade Away, and much more. That's all I got. Here's me talking to Robert. Robert, thank you for being a part of this. It's a pleasure, man. So what has The Sopranos meant to your life? Uh... Sopranos, I mean, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it gave me my career. I mean, uh, through James Gandolfini, of course, who was my friend. Um, it's my really first professional job. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, uh, it was, it was the, uh, my foot. I got my foot in the door there with the Sopranos, so it's one of the biggest things in my professional career, besides it being one of the best TV shows ever made. Where'd you grow up, and what were you doing before the Sopranos? Before the Sopranos, I was um, managing Caroline's Comedy Club. Um, but I grew up in Brooklyn and Staten Island. Um, graduated high school, did about a year of college, didn't really like it, got into the dramatic arts. Went into Pace University for business, and then I decided it wasn't for me. My mom said, yeah, man, what do you want to do? You do something you love. So I said, well, I want to do drama. So I, I uh, switched to drama. lasted about a year. Uh, yeah, and then I lived my life a little bit, and then I, I got into a play with James Gandolfini. And later on, when I was really, really serious about acting, I took some workshops and everything, and I landed a play with uh, James. So you and him had a relationship before the show? Yeah. Yeah, we did a play at Streetcar Named Desire, who he later uh, worked on with Alec Baldwin on Broadway. Uh, he was uh, one of the neighbors, but then he, he was able to play Mitch a couple of nights. Uh, uh, he studied Mitch also. So, so yeah, we, did, we toured Scandinavia in the, uh, in, the, in the early 80s. We toured Scandinavia. In the not early 80s, I think it was uh, maybe late 80s. Hmm. There's a line in the final episode for your character, Eugene, where Tony says, we go way back. And that was actually the truth. Yeah, it was true. You know, the writers, like, 
Terry Winter and um, all the writers, they really pulled from our personal lives too. We'd be playing basketball on set and all of a sudden we see that there was a basketball scene between uh, Ralph and uh, Vito. Right. That was us playing basketball in front of uh, Silver Cup Studio. I always wondered you know, that. They, they, yeah, the writers pulled from the life they stayed there, you know, TV writers especially because they have to. I think the great directors are able to pull from the act. They know their actors. So yeah. They get a book of performance from them so they're able to... Uh, I don't know, let them, uh, give them the freedom and also write for them also in, in a way, mm. you know, maybe they twist it a little bit, twist things a little bit, but they get what they want, you know? So you knew James before the show. What is your Soprano story? Go back to the days, the weeks, months leading up to your run on the show. Uh, how did it all go down for you? Yeah, I mean, Caroline's on Broadway. Not only did they, uh, I come from there, but Idris Elba also was a bouncer. I started as a bouncer on Caroline's on Broadway on the 50th and Broadway. That's awesome. And uh, and then I was a manager. Just like Danny Aiello was for the, yeah, at the improv, you know. I don't know, a lot of bouncers become actors. You know? Then you got uh, Tony Lip, you know. Yeah. Tony was a, uh, a Tony from Green Book also, who was a great man to work with. And I never knew that story. He never really talked about it. Uh, and Nick, we never really talked about it either. He might have mentioned it. I don't think he ever mentioned uh, Green Book or anything like that. But anyway, to make a long story short, his son Nick is and, Nick is his son, right? Totally, yeah, Nick yeah. So I mean, I was working at Karen's on Broadway, and and of course me and uh, and James we did play about eight years prior. And a friend of mine was at a some sort. It was the second year on the show. Second year was ending. Uh, and a friend of mine who was at a party with a friend knew that me and James uh, had worked together. I might have ran into him one time. I knew he was successful, but, you know, you kind of lost contact with each other. And I wasn't really acting, acting then. I would be there from time to time acting. Um, um, you know, get calls from, um, you know, some agents that would pass through catalogs that give me, you know, give me, call me a bone and, you know, I had me audition for certain things, but I really wasn't pursuing it. So anyway, eight years later, my friend goes up to my board and says, hey, if I was you, I know a friend of yours. And I said, yeah, who do you know? Bobby Finero. Oh, I know Bobby. What's Bobby doing? I said, okay, Caroline's on Broadway. That's great. And if I were you, my friend Gordon Sills says, if I were you, I would get him a job on your show. <laughs> he's really, he's, my friend's really got a lot of cleonies now. So James remembered that. You know, when there was a role on the show, he came up down to Caroline's and uh, he, he, uh, he asked me to audition. He said, I can't promise you anything, um, but I'd like for you to audition. And um, he came down one day. I was going to count the money and I was managing and I saw him at the bar and I said, hey, James, what are you doing here? So he said, I'm here for you. And I said, what do you mean? I want to see if you want to audition for the show. You've been acting. Of course, I lied. I said, yes. And I really wasn't professional. I said, oh, great. Tell the truth. I really wanted to do it. That's my big opportunity. So I, I landed a role on the show. I landed a role on the show. And, and from then on, you know, I, mean, I was, you know, working professionally. So James came down and found you is the Yeah, the he colonel. took the drive driver, Joe Faye. Joe Faye was his driver. Okay. Uh, great guy. Great guy on the local, local one. And, did uh, he bring you into Georgian Walken and Sheila Jaffe, or did you no, bypass no, you that? That's not, that's not the thing that, you know, he said, someone's going to call you. And they're going to give you an audition. You're going to go to George Hand. Who happened to be, her office was next door uh, at the Carol, 
it was, uh, I think there was 600 Broadway. She might have been 1595 Broadway. Wow. So uh, I was able to uh, um, get the script. The following day, I got the script, uh, and I kind of, I stayed up by myself uh, at Caroline's. I closed the place like 4 a.m., and then I don't think I went even went home. I just went to the audition, you know, at uh, Silicon. Well, I, didn't, it was, I went to 1595 Broadway, whatever George A. Walken was. I went to her home office and I auditioned, and then I got called back to Silica, where I faced the Inquisition. David Chase, the writers, and that was intimidating. <laughs> but you got through it, yeah. man. I did. I did. I got through it, and it was a great experience. A couple of questions. You said a couple of nuggets in there that I want to go back and parse. You mentioned James Driver. Can you can you say his name again? Joe Fay. Is he Joe still Fay. around? Yeah, Joe's still, still working. I believe he's still working. I don't think he's retired. I think Joe's still around. We'd love to talk to him if he's interested. Um, uh, George Ann Walken, you go through the Inquisition. You were reading, were you reading for Eugene or were you reading for something else, some other character? Okay. Here's what happened. Um, I, I auditioned for Ross Ferretto. Ah. And, uh, and uh, what happened was I was cast as Ross Ferretto. I signed the contract. I have um, maybe two two episodes into um, acting Ralph Ferrado. David Hiltick was happy with the chemistry between me and, and James. I'm losing you a little bit on the audio. Your audio is dropping out. Yeah, a I think bit. I think that what what happened was, uh, I, you know, there was just too too like I suppose and. In, in um, me and James, two big guys, you know, in the chemistry, they they, they grade my hair, they they did everything they could to kind of kind of give a variation on us, even before we even acted. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, the makeup and everything. You know what I mean? Uh, give me gray and and stuff, and uh, that uh, was not working out. I mean, we did a couple of scenes together, and James said, you know, he thought they went fine. And um, David said, well, look, I'm thinking about recasting the role, but um, I want to keep you on board. So uh, so I said, uh, well, yeah, do you want to be on board? Yeah, of course I want to be on board. You know, and uh, they said that uh, my character's name was the Eugene. And I asked Terry, who is Eugene? So we're going to make it up as we go along. Don't worry about it. We we love your acting and uh, want to keep you on the show. And that's what happened. Huh. You know, um, Had Joe Pantoliano been cast? Uh, um, uh, Joe, Joey, Joey Pants was considered, and, and you can watch it on his YouTube online or, you know, in the tribute to James or whatever. He talks about this. He doesn't mention my name. That's because he's a gentleman. You know what I mean? And no actor would want to do that. But me being in my situation, I don't mind mentioning it for the actors who... Um, we're out there, things happen to, uh, you know, us that sure. and in, in the business. And, you know, I mean, I remember Andy McDowell doing a film and they even use a voice or something. They use someone else's voice. So a lot of things happen to actually, you know, if you really want to do it, you got to keep going. And it was a struggle because it was such a great role and, um, it kind of was up the top and, you know, front credits and everything. And, and of course, you have to be on the set and, and face everybody. Oh, there's a guy that he was Ralph, not James or anything like that. Not that all the guys, but not the main guys like Tony Spiegel. Everyone just loved me. You know what I mean? Hmm. But uh, you know, people always people always talk. So I mean, you got to put your ego aside and say, "Look, I'm going to do this no matter what. Yeah. Keep going." 
So I kept going, and uh, here I am now, and the Irish been coming up, and uh, Mark Scorsese, and, and I'm a professional actor, and uh, I owe that to James Gandolfini. Amazing. He's a wonderful man, a wonderful man, and, uh, and a generous man, and uh, we became very good friends, you know, again. You appeared, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about that as we go through this. You appeared in 24 episodes across four seasons. What are one or two of your favorite memories that you're comfortable sharing with listeners? I don't want you to break any omertas, but what can you share with listeners that would kind of take us behind the scenes a little bit? Uh, That's a lot. There's so many great things that we all did together. You you know... uh, all right, so we had so much fun. I mean, uh, uh, eating good. <laughs> I've heard many uh, stories about the food. Eating really, really great. And, uh, you know, I mean, things that would happen on the set. Like one time, I think that Vito uh, 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 Spaffetori's character splits a chair. You know what I mean? And I think it's what happens he splits a chair. But, and this was after, you know, him. Filming that, it just wasn't work. You know, the chair split, you know, or something. It broke or whatever. And um, we all laughed about it because it was uh, we set. But then one time at lunch or something like that, it actually did happen. So it was really hilarious. There were so many things. Uh, that was one of the times, you know. I mean, members only uh, rehearsing the hang scene, the hanging scene outside of, uh, that was through outside of the bada bing. You know, satin dolls and one guy. Uh, you know, and people coming up saying, "What are you doing?" You know, like reporters and everything. And then they put a big draping. But we did that in the parking lot in Lodi, outside of about a thing. And I passed there every other weekend because my children in Kingston. So I was doing that, passing there, just you know, making the sign across the hand. Thank God I survived. You know, um, and I kept going even though I hung myself. But you know, we're rehearsing, they're rehearsing that with Pete Pocosi. Pete Picosi, who was the uh, stunt coordinator, was a great man and a great stunt coordinator. You know, so that was fun. The final sequence for Eugene, was that you or was it a stuntman? That was me. It was a wide shot. I've always been fascinated by this. It was a wide shot. How did it work? I mean, obviously you weren't hanging yourself. It was so visceral though, and it felt so real, but you weren't really hanging. How was the scene done? Can you talk about the mechanics of how it was filmed? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, they sent out for to California for a special brace for me because I'm a pretty big guy. So we, once we got the brace, and then uh, we braced me. Uh, you know, Pete really put me at ease about the brace. We he showed me. You know, he did it himself, and he demonstrated the brace. And uh, you know, the rope on at the neck was just a fake rope, and it was made to uh, collapse. You know, it was just tied together. I mean, they're glued together probably or something like that. No, it was a you know, it was a placebo uh, noose. Right. But the brace was like a very you know expensive brace that they sent to L.A. for. Interesting. And, um, so you were actually hanging. You were suspending. Yeah, I was suspended. Yeah, I, I was me suspended. And, uh, and the moment before, I mean, the whole situation. I don't think you really have to, if you just think about the situation itself, committing suicide, and um, there was enough emotion there, you know what I mean? The whole... See, and Members Only was a very nerve-wracking show because I knew that, you know, I was going to be, I wasn't going to be on the show anymore, so, and, and the character himself, I, you know, I thought would be remembered because he was the guy that wanted to get out and he couldn't get out. I think that you're kind of remembered by your actions in life and, you know, 
I think it was a lot of people can like Tony Soprano. They related with him. He had everything, but he's quite miserable. I was I wanted to get out, and I couldn't get out. You know, once you're in, you can't get out. You know, and that's the way it is. He was caught on both sides of it too. He was an yeah. FBI informant. You yeah. learn at the very end, and it's a very, yeah. very powerful, I mean, very the powerful FBI episode. Thing was, I think the, the yeah, the, the walls were closing in. They wanted to make it uh, so many of the walls closing in on me and the FBI. But the thing is, a lot of people they say, hey, "You were a snitch. You were a rat." Well, you know, I, I disagree with them. I mean, I think I, I, I never turned evidence that put Tony away. That was the big thing. If I did, then I would be considered a, a rat, fink, snitch. It was never said that, oh, Eugene, test, you know, Eugene, though, you know, even though I died, you know, and that's an action, that action alone, you know, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, uh, you know, go to court against, against Tony Soprano, you know, being that way. You know, my out was to uh, liberate my family. To me, not that it was said in the, uh, in the episode following by Mazzoli, uh, I was calling some names, but to me, that's what it was. I mean, uh, our relationship, my family, I did it for them. You know, and right. uh, I didn't. I didn't write out on uh, on Tony Soprano. So some people say, "Hey, and he, he's a rat." And I said, "Hey, you know, what are you nuts?" <laughs> Greg Curto, he was a rat. You know, I mean, uh, Benny Pastor. Yeah, know, yeah, he was a great guy. So. So, no, yeah. it was a very powerful scene, and we didn't know. I mean, as viewers, you don't know um, about Eugene is uh, that he's an FBI informant until the very, very end. Because up until that point, he's yeah. one of the loyal members of the crew. He does the job. He yeah. goes out and does a hit for Christopher while he's on the FBI's yeah. watch. So, I think he's catchy. You know, he's cover, trying to cover all bases. You know, all the bases. Sure. I mean, you know, I think he really wanted to uh, get out and. Uh, you know, couldn't do it. So anybody that says anything or anybody that said anything to you in the past probably just doesn't understand that this was a script and this is writing and this is a story. And most people, most guys, especially in that world, when they're, when the walls are closing in, like you said, they're going to flip. It's par for the course. Tony Soprano himself says that in therapy over and over again, there's two outcomes, you know, this, this ends two ways. So, um, powerful stuff. Your character got made the same day as Christopher. Was there any off camera or behind the scenes stuff that happened to mark the occasion of that day that you can share with listeners? Was there anything fun or different? No, it was just, just a film. It was a film day. That was, was just a regular you know, day. A film day. A film day on the set really wasn't. You know, it was it was uh, it was momentous to me because I mean, you know, it meant a lot. I mean, I was being made as you know, made man. I mean, it was great. It was like, it almost was like what was happening to me as an actor. You know, it's a good I metaphor. Mean, I was being made, and, 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 and so I, you know, I tried to use it. You know, and, uh, it was really, uh, it was, it was great. It was really great. That was, that was a good day. Couple of production questions. Don't know if you'll have the answer, but I'm going to ask because you are the man who we see on camera. Uh, you hand Tony a piece. You give him a taste of your of, of Eugene's inheritance. Uh, how much yes. was the taste? Oh, I think that I think it was in the amount of like uh, I would say you know, an envelope like that. You know, it's sort of maybe ten twenty thousand. Okay. You know, I would say about that much, ten, twenty thousand. Because you know, I mean, you gotta remember, you don't really get the money right away all, all together. You know? Of course. I mean, it takes a little time. So I mean, uh, I'd say it was ten, twenty. I mean, how much could you fit into an envelope? I don't know. Well, it depends on the bills. Right? Depends on the bills. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. Hundred dollar bills is the highest denomination, isn't it? Or yeah. Yeah. 
Right before Eugene hangs himself, he picks up a seashell. What was the significance of the seashell as you see it? Well, I think that was, I think the seashell was significant to his uh, his children, the fun times he had with his family, you know, and because uh, you see, no, he's on, the, he's on the beach also. He took some shots on the beach, and I think it was Long Beach and everything. We took some photographs. For the there, album. On, on the beach together, for the album, yeah. And I think that it's reminiscing about the past good times and everything, you know what I mean? And, and he's going to miss them, and he's just reminiscing. And um, He loved his family, and uh, it was one of the things he would truly miss. So I think that, to me, it was symbolic in the sense that he would make the sacrifice for his, for his children hmm. you know, and his family. That's when he was truly happy, you know? So I think it worked. I, I thought it would really work, uh, you know? Leaving The Sopranos, you were in Not Fade Away. David Chase's feature debut. What's the story there? How did you become involved with the project? I have a feeling that James Gandolfini is going to come into the story as well again. Am I right? Well, no, I mean, I auditioned for the film. I mean, I auditioned for Uncle Murph, and uh, I landed the role. You know, I mean, that was it. And James said, you know, uh, yeah, I'm glad you got it. You know, he was the one thing. He, uh, you know, I auditioned for it, and uh, I went in as a regular actor. And, um, David cast me in it. From, although you know, you know, I was really got, I got very sick during that shoot. Um, we had we shot the first episode of Lisa Lampanelli, and we shot the first scene, my scenes first. And then I had to come back in about two or three months. Two or three months when I had to come back, I think we started in February. Two three months I had to come back. I had a really bad stomach problems, and I had to get a surgery, and I couldn't finish. And uh, they called me up and said, well, driver, you put it in a limo and a cat, you know, limo will get you to the set. You know, you don't have to do much. And I said, guys, I'm in the hospital. I just can't do it. And they understood. But uh, James understood. And David understood. So, but it was a very trying time. You know, the other thing is, is that I think that The Sopranos was such a good show. I mean, look, look how it took on substance abuse with my son, members only. Mm. I think that's a very important thing. You know, a lot of, a lot of, um, uh, teenagers in Jersey, I know, because uh, uh, I know it's personal to me, you know, I lost my nephew to substance abuse at 25, and I mean, it, it's terrible, um, you know, the opiates and stuff like that, and uh, it's a terrible, uh, terrible disease going around, and, and Jersey's one of the worst places for it, Staten Island, where I live now. It's a very bad place for, you know, Percocets and and opiates and everything. And, um, yeah, fentanyl, fentanyl, it's terrible. So, I mean, if you think about my son and his struggle with, uh, substance abuse, I mean, that was uh, ahead of its time, wouldn't you say? For sure. You know, one of the beautiful things about the show that makes it so timeless is that... think about it. That was back then in 2000, what was it, 2006. Yeah. That was 2000, and now it's like an epidemic. Right. You know? No, the Sopranos, it's a grand epidemic going the, on. The Sopranos was early on a lot of stuff. There's no question about it. That's why, part yes. of why it's timeless and why it's aged so well. Um, yeah. Might be a little early. I know you were in The Irishman. It's still in post-production. Can you say anything about that, about the experience, or is it still too early? It was a great experience to work with uh, Robert De Niro. He's a real gentleman and uh, a great actor, uh, and, and Martin, who I worked you know, on vinyl with, uh, uh, casting, and, and um, the great people. It's a great set to be on. Um, when is it coming out? It's taking a long time. It's taking, it's, I believe 
Now I heard on the grapevine of Thanksgiving. Okay. Uh, Thanksgiving of 2019. And I think it's going to be a limited, limited, limited release. So, and then it's on Netflix. You segued nicely for me about vinyl. Um, you were in vinyl. What happened to vinyl? Why wasn't it able to push through? Uh, I don't know. They, they say that the HBO said it was just too much, to, just too costly. I, I don't know. A lot of people loved it, but uh, it was too much to produce. Huh. You know, so, I mean, I, I don't know the skimming on that. So I know that uh, uh, Terry was let go. Terry Winter was let go. I mean, that, I mean, that was crazy. And he's a great writer. I mean, he's an Academy Award-nominated writer yeah. for uh, Wall Street. So, I mean, that was crazy. When, I, when, I, when that happened, I said, ah, I don't know about this. If it's going to work out. It's going to pan out. You know, I knew that. So it was the interim of the season. It was going on to the next season. So I know we had done one season. So, well, I mean, I, I loved it. A lot of people liked it, but you know, you know, you just get rock and roll. It's just so expansive. You're not going to please everybody. Sure. You know? Sure. So you just can't please it. And the rock and roll people, maybe they didn't think it was, um, you know, Mitch Jagger was behind it. I think it was Mitch Jagger. It was, you know, he had this idea, I think, that was like a, a rock and roll casino. Look at Tommy James and the Shondells and, and uh, what's his name? The, um, the producer, I forgot his name. They were kind of raped. A lot of the artists were raped. They, they write their songs, and you know, so it was a great, great, great premise. I thought it was good. But fuck these, you know, I thought I thought it was great. Yeah, it's just interesting to hear your perspective because you were on the show, and it's like, yeah, why do some things work and some things don't? Kind of thing. It had had a lot of heavy hitters behind it. Yeah, it did. I mean, I, I, I can't. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's the business, right? Nobody knows anything. That's what they say. Yeah, they say it was money. They say it was money. So. I don't know about you, but if I was, you know, if I if I was the head of HBO, I don't know Brad Gray left, but would I would I fire a writer, you know, who's a good a writer for Martin Scorsese? Would I would I cancel a Martin Scorsese production? I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't. I mean, yeah, he's uh, Martin is a Martin Scorsese is a genius. I mean, whatever, you know. Any thoughts on the Sopranos prequel? All I can tell you is that uh, I read a little bit of it. Uh, they made a mistake. They did. They would have, uh, you know, the casting director made a mistake. My manager submitted me, and they would have bring me in. And then I said, "This is a mistake. They're not going to bring me in." I've been on the show for four years, and it was. But uh, I read a little bit, and I read a little bit of bit of it, and the copy was great. That's all I can tell you. It read great, and of course, Michael Gandolfini is going to be in it, and that's a super thing. You know, he, he, you know, he does resemble his dad, and and. Um, that's great too. That's exciting also. And it's exciting that David's going to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's very special how it worked out with the timing and everything. I end every interview with a lightning round, uh, just quick rapid fire answers. I'm going to say a name and I'd like you to say the first thing that comes to mind. James Gandolfini. Truth. David Chase. Um, I would say no, He's kind of leprechaun, kind of no, he's everywhere. <laughs> Michael Imperioli. Uh, uh, um, Michael A. Smooth, fine, fine line. Joe Pantoliano. Joey, uh, antagonizer. <laughs> Not in real life, but he, he, you know, he's, he's, he plays that great. Tony Sirico. Uh, Tony Stand Up. Totally stand up, man. Steve Sharippa. Steve, wonderful guy to be around. Uh, a joy to be around. Dan Grimaldi. Dan Grimaldi, 
great actor, underrated actor. The math professor. Did you know that? When I talked to him, I was fascinated. He's actually like a, he's got a PhD in math. Who knew? Yes. He's, a, he's, a, he's really, he's really pretty deep. Uh, Joe Ganascoli. Joe, uh, great fun. We had, we came in together. So I, I just smile when I think of Joe because we were just two struggling actors just trying to scrape our way, uh, you know, grab, you know, grab our way to the top. You know. Scraped your way to the best show oh, you ever know made. I mean? we'll try to make yeah. it. No, no, it, it's a beautiful story, though. Yeah. You guys are immortalized in history by being on. Yeah, the, you know, because it was Joe, me, and Joe Pantaleoni, and, and uh, it was us three. That know, was a crew. And the yeah. And, and us laughing with, uh, with, uh, with the mother of, uh, you know. <laughs> favorite music right now? Oh, my favorite music right now? I listen to so much music, so many different types of music. Um, Foo Fighters, Foo Fighters. Love it. Love the Foo Fighters. Uh, biggest fear? Biggest fear? I mean, um, the next job, you know, getting the next job. It's just always a struggle getting the right next job. But really, you know what I mean? It's always the next job. Any regrets? Oh, no, no regrets. No regrets. Most treasured possession from the show? Uh, well, my treasured possession show, James made these, uh, he went to Cooperstown and to the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. and he made baseball bats for us early on, and, and uh, you know, he, and he, he got one engraved for me, Eugene. He got one for Tony Sirico and all the guys, and he got me one also. You know, and I wasn't even a major player, good friend, but he, he, that meant a lot to me that he did that, you know. Very special. Robert, this was great. Thank you so much. That's great. Thank you so much, too, and, and let's keep in touch, all right? You got it, for sure. All the best. Take care. Thank you, brother.